Good morning. This is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus pandemic in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse Mondays and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. on KOPN, and all episodes can be found online at kopn.org and on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Today on the show, our host, Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, is joined by Dr. Sarah Younger of MU Healthcare Pediatrics. They'll discuss Dr. Younger's experience receiving the vaccine and her experiences working in a hospital setting during the pandemic. As you know, Dr. Elizabeth Alleman is a local family physician and host of Your Health Matters here on KOPN. She joins us via phone this morning. Good morning, Dr. Alleman. Good morning, Mallory. I am ready for um, change today and I'm very happy to see that the natural world is making a big change. So we've got um, some planets uh, appearing to come together in our sky, which some people think is very significant for change. And it's the solstice. So this is, we've just had our longest night of the year, um, and uh, the light is going to start to come back now. So um, I love that we're going to get a sunny day. And um, while I am feeling hopeful, I do also just want to communicate that we are, from the standpoint of the pandemic, which this show is about, we are entering our darkest, hardest, most difficult times where we have very common communities, the highest community spread we've had. We have the highest hospitalizations that we've had, and we are expecting those things to increase given that the weather is colder, people are spending more time inside, and we're moving into a period of the year where typically people are very tempted to get together and combine households indoors. So I'm encouraging everyone to, it's not too late to cancel your holiday gathering plans, um, and I'm going to encourage that you do that. My, our family's plan is that we're going to do our, um, ho- our Christmas celebrations in July when I am expecting things to feel very different for us. Um, so just to go through a few um, uh, data points, Matthew Holloway's data, he is no longer updating on the weekend, so his most recent data is from Friday, where we had, where he was able to see document 4,415 new cases over a 24-hour period of time, pretty high for, you know, historically for Missouri. Boone County has had 12,500 cases um, uh, Cole County to our south has had 7,000 cases um, and uh, 117 deaths in Missouri uh, on between Thursday and Friday, um, which is like the fourth day where we've documented over 100 cases. All of them have been in the last 30 days. More locally in Boone County, um, as of the 18th, uh, we had 153 cases in 20 in, at that day, um, 173 the day before, 124 the day before that. The the um, benchmark that I keep noticing is that the health department thinks that most days they can contact 70 people who have recently been found out that they were positive and talk to them about quarantine, isolation, contacting their cases. And so whenever our numbers are above 70. We just know that we are over the top of that, um, uh, that levy of public health. Um, and the last time we had a below 70 day was um, over a month ago. And before that, it was in October. So um, we've just really been way above what the health department can do. And, and so then sort of our next, um, 
our next levy is our hospitals. And so I'm really happy to, to welcome Dr. Younger. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Younger, for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. So I, you know, have had this lovely uh, privilege of being an outpatient physician during this time, and I'm wondering if you can give us a little perspective about what it's been like to work in a hospital in in Columbia during these interesting times. It's been very stressful, to be honest. Um, the, The stresses and the changes that have come at us on a daily basis and the uncertainty and the ever-changing information that we have about a new um, disease that's unveiling itself before our eyes has been really challenging. Um, I think that in general, um, we've all tried really hard to stay positive and um, meet the challenges the best way we can and that we've done an amazing job, but it's definitely been a challenge and it's, it's been difficult for, for the people working here and for our patients. Um, and their families, because it's definitely changed um, how we are able to interact with our families and and having patients, loved ones here to visit and things like that. It's just been really difficult, especially for me as a NICU physician, when we've had to limit the number of visitors. It's been really hard to see the changes and the effects that's had on families. Right. The newborn ICU has always had somewhat restrictive policies, um, less, uh, more so than the rest of the hospital. Um, so I'm guessing this must, and that has always been hard, but I'm guessing this must be even harder. Yes. So initially we had um, severely restricted visitors and only allowed one parent to visit per day. Um, and, and that in and of itself was difficult. Now we're allowing mm-hmm. both parents to visit, but no other visitors. So we've had cases where, you know, I have a patient right now who's been in the hospital for several months and has never met her siblings or um, the rest of her family, and that's really difficult. Yes, and sometimes, you know, having only one parent there, sometimes the parent who just gave birth is, you know, recovering from surgery or has been fairly ill and probably needs a lot of support <coughs> to, to just um, be recovering, but then to also go to the NICU and meet their baby, that must be really challenging when you, when you have to limit it to only one. Very challenging. Yeah. So I just want to say um, I know it's not enough. You know, the thanks that uh, hospital workers need need is not for us to tell you thank you for your service, but I'm telling you thank you for your service. And I am also doing everything I can to ask everybody I know to please don't mix with people outside of your household. Absolutely. Because that's... Go ahead. It's amazing to me the difference that between the people I see that work in the hospital and understand what's happening firsthand versus the people that don't. Um, the the difference is even in our Facebook posts. You know, looking at um, people that have you know been having pictures of weddings and and um, family dinners and parties and you know I haven't eaten in a restaurant since March. Um, I haven't had an indoor family dinner with my parents who live down the street from me since March. Um, so the best way that you can say thank you is to try to limit those interactions and, and mask up when you're around other people outside your home so that we can take care of the sick people that we have and not have more sick people. Yeah, so I have also heard some, I think on news reports or rumors that um, that you've been admitting adult patients at Women's and Children's. Is that so Am we, I getting some, something wrong yes. here? No, we have um, 
an expansion unit that we've had at Women's and Children's um, for a while now, and we've opened that to adult patients from transferred over from the university hospital that have um, recovered from their acute illness but don't have um, a place to go after they're, they're well enough to leave the hospital. So gotcha. the, the trouble we've been having is that there's so many sick people that there aren't enough rehab beds, there, there aren't um, nursing home beds, there aren't places for these recovered but not quite well enough to be at home people to go back to. And so our that is I mean, so helpful. So it's it's like a little hospital step down unit. Yes, and our amazing family practice physicians have been running that for us and doing a great job. We, we, everybody is taking on extra um, these days. Um, I want to hear. So my what I've been able to interpret from Jenny and your Facebook post is that you have been vaccinated. Is that right? I have been. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, it was amazing. It's the first time I've really felt helpful in, you know, nine months. Um, I just, I am hopeful that this is going to end, that there's an end in sight, and that maybe in June or July, like you said, we'll be able to have family dinners and vacations and go back to our normal lives. I um, was really lucky. I um, was able to get the vaccine. I feel very blessed by that, and I'm glad that it's helping me protect the community and my patients and my patients' families and my family um, because, of course, I'm probably my family's greatest risk because I'm in the hospital around sick patients, and, um, you know, the, my family's been pretty isolated, but I'm coming home every day with my exposures. Right. Yeah, and, and <clears throat> so does I... Do, do Are you feeling less worried about your family now that you've been vaccinated? Um, I'm still worried about my family. Um, I'll be feeling a lot better when my parents who are in their 70s and have some lung conditions get their vaccines. Um, mm -hmm. But but I feel a tiny bit better now. Um, like I said, we haven't been really hanging out. Uh, my my family has been following the the precautions pretty strictly, and since my parents don't live with me, we don't see them much um, except outside and through windows. Um, but right. we, I know that they're, you know, in, in the next phase of people to get vaccines, so I, I really can't wait for them to get their vaccines. So um, what, how do you want to share how, whether you've had any side effects or what it's been like for you since you've got the vaccination? Sure. Yeah, I've had a, You don't have to, don't answer any question if I ask too much. Oh, not at all. I haven't had any side effects. Um, I had actually, it wasn't even, it was probably the least painful immunization I've received at the time. Um, and then probably within about six hours, I started to get a little sore at the site of the injection and that lasted about two days and then went away. And I've had no other side effects, um, like I said, other than uh, exuberant hope for the future. Um, and I've talked to a lot of, I'm, I'm in a lot of uh, Facebook groups with physicians that have been battling COVID now and um, pediatricians and all kinds of doctors. And there have been very few um, side effects reported. And pretty much across the board, um, all the physicians feel like those side effects that they've experienced, um, which have been primarily just pain at the injection site. A few people have had some 
um, just general not feeling great for a day and some um, maybe some low fever. Um, and they've all said without a doubt that they would do it again in a heartbeat. Um, I've had a, a couple of physicians that have had um, feeling a little bit of a racing heart and a couple of people that um, felt like they might um, pass out, but it went away, and they all attributed it to the pain of the injection or the anxiety of the injection more than the injection itself. Um, I know there's been some reports in the media of a nurse that passed out after she got her vaccine, and um, she has said multiple times, you know, I I pass out anytime I get a vaccine, so or an injection or a blood draw, and that's actually a pretty common response that people have to stressful experiences. You know, and um, I'm an acupuncturist, and I'm just going to say that acupuncture has sort of their own little uh, definition experience that. But what we know is, you know, so I stick people with needles a lot, and it is it is most people do not pass out. But I prefer always to have people lying down. When I do an acupuncture treatment, people are more relaxed. And then if they get lightheaded, they're already, you know, like what I would do is lie them down. And then the idea is that somehow a, a needle is, is um, interfering with this sort of uh, energetic exoskeleton. It, it's just an interesting way of looking at it differently. It is not an uncommon thing for people when they get stuck with a needle to feel woozy. That is an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. I, I so, love acupuncture, um, by the way. I think it's phenomenal. And I've never thought it about It has definitely that. changed my life, yeah. Um, so I am wondering if you have heard um, staff members, um, other physicians, speak about reluctance or concern or um, worry about the vaccine. I've had several people reach out to me with, you know, specific questions about themselves, such as, um, you know, initially we heard some reports about some risk of anaphylaxis or severe allergic reactions to the vaccine. And Mm -hmm. so I've had some friends and and colleagues that have had history of anaphylaxis to other things in the past that have asked me, you know, do you think I should get the vaccine or not? And in that situation, the um, American College of um, Allergy and Immunology has come out very clearly and said, yes, the the benefit of the vaccine outweighs the risk, even if you have a past history of, of anaphylaxis or severe allergic reaction. And they just recommend that people get the vaccine in a place where they can be monitored. Um, and I haven't, I've had several friends and colleagues that have gone to get the shot with that past history and they've all been fine. Um, I've had. Right. Some- and, and just to be clear, almost it's my understanding that sort of standard of care, and I don't want to imply it's standard of care if it isn't, but it is very common for anybody who gives any kind of injectable medication to be ready to treat anaphylaxis because that can happen to almost anything we inject into people. Absolutely, 100%. Um, so it's not like this is a this is so much more um, dangerous than other medications that we are providing people. Well, I mean, we, we are going to have to collect the data and see, but right now it does not appear to be. Um, it's been very interesting to me. I saw a news report that a third person in Alaska has had anaphylaxis after their injection. And I'm just wondering, like, what the heck in Alaska? <laughs> well, I my thought is I feel like there's such a national lens on this vaccine right now that I wonder, I, and I don't know, I would have to look it up, What is, how many people have anaphylaxis to vaccines, other vaccines? Well, there's um, that, right. Like you mentioned, we we already have we're ready to 
treat those reactions if they happen when we give vaccines. So it makes me curious if it's really a different different rate than what we see with other vaccines. And that is going to that is one of the things that is going to take some people um, who do data better than I do sifting through all those reports and looking at it with a critical eye and publishing it in peer reviewed journals for us to know that for sure. Um, yeah, so I'm wondering, um, uh, so I'm also, I have some curiosity, and if this is too, again, you don't have to answer it, but I'm just wondering what it took, what was your clearance process like for you to be uh, cleared to talk to me on the radio? Oh, I just emailed our public relations director and let him know that I would be um, speaking with you, and that was that was fine. Okay. No concerns. Right. So you didn't have to get told what you can and can't say. Oh no, absolutely not. Okay. Um, so I so there's also been um, a lot of news reports about how there were these predicted, these promised, expected. I don't know whatever number of doses to each state. So we were allocating the vaccine. We had a certain number of vaccine vaccination vaccine doses available. We cut that, we divided that in half because everybody needs two doses and we didn't want to distribute vaccine to people and not, not withhold, not hold back their second dose. So, and then it was divided up uh, among the states based on population. And then this um, late last week, there were these like, oh no, you're not got, some states are not going to get the vaccines that we predicted they would get. And it was not at all clear, and it still is not clear to me why that happened. And I'm just wondering whether you're hearing about or noticing or are people getting their vaccine appointments canceled? Do you know if that's having an impact on us locally? I haven't heard of it having any impact, and everyone I know that's been signed up through yesterday to get vaccine has gotten it. Um, There was, I was actually signed up to get the vaccine on the first day that it was available, which was last Tuesday. And then the shipment was delayed by a day, so I didn't uh, get it until Thursday because I had to reschedule for the next available appointment. But other than gotcha. that, that's, that's the only thing I've heard. And um, I haven't heard of anyone saying that they're, they want to get a vaccine and there isn't an appointment available. Okay. So we do know that the first allotment of vaccinations for Missouri is not sufficient to cover all the health care workers that we've counted in Missouri that we believe would need to get this vaccine. But it sounds like so far all the people who want a vaccine and who meet the criteria for this first wave that you know of, like there isn't a long waiting list right now. Correct. Okay. This is great news. Um, And uh, I also wanted to talk a little bit about um, this uh, genetic variant in the UK. Are you following that, Dr. Younger? Yes, I've seen that. Yeah. And before we move, before we change the subject, is there anything else you want to say about the vaccine, about um, COVID in in mid-Missouri that you feel like we need to make sure that we hear your voice on? I just want to say, please, please wear your masks, stay out of big group gatherings. And really, we all want to get back to normal more than Mm -hmm. anything. And we we want to have enough hospital beds to take care of everyone that needs a hospital bed, and we we want everyone to be safe and healthy. Um, this isn't made up. It's not a hoax. It's not something that people are doing to make more money. Um, I haven't gotten my raise since we started seeing COVID patients. In fact, I took a 
pay cut um, initially because of the effects the pandemic had on the hospital and and we just really want people to be safe. We all went into this because we wanted to save lives and and that's what we're trying to do. Thank you for saying that. So it sounds like there is this new genetic variant which we've detected, which they have detected in the United Kingdom, and it's virus under investigation VIU 2020-1201, which means it's the first genetic variant detected in December of 2020, although I'm hearing that maybe they actually detected it in September. And it is being, it has been, um, we think maybe the, the first time they they found it, it was in someone in Kent, England. And what we're noticing is that it is um, now 70%, uh, estimated to be 70% of the new cases in London and the surrounding area in Southeast England. And um, we, it, because it fairly quickly went from being a minority to the majority of the infections, we are believing that it, that is one indication that it is more transmissible. So the virus that is the most transmissible will start to just be more common because it spreads more quickly. Um, sort of like the jovial extrovert at a party is going to interact with more people. <clears throat> um, so, and what we're seeing also is that area of England is having a remarkably uh, exponential increase in cases and again, the smart data crunchers are going to need to look at it, but it looks like maybe that's why we're having such an increase in this. And I have been looking to see whether we're doing that kind of surveillance in the United States. Do you know, Sarah, I, this is out of you, your expertise and mine. So this is just two physicians who are interested in this topic speculating. Yeah, do, I haven't do you know if we are? I, I'm sure that we are, but I haven't really followed it to see, to see, but I know that's something that they watch at the... Um, NIH and CDC in Atlanta, they watch the different types. I was able to find on a website a statement from the CDC that they are, that they are attempting to coordinate all the genomic surveying that is happening in the United States. And I'm not able to find, I've spent 15 minutes this morning. It is not like, you know, depth of research. I've not been able to find any data about whether this variant is already in the United States, but if it has, if it if it's been spreading since September, um, it is unlikely that the closing of borders that is happening um, across Europe is likely to be very helpful. Um, but I'm not saying that they shouldn't do it. It's just that it's possible that they're closing the barn doors after the horses have escaped. Absolutely, um, and. The best I can tell is that nobody has any information that this is more dangerous, like it causes more severe disease. And I think that they have enough now that they would be able to, they would be seeing unexpected levels of hospitalization and severity, and apparently they're not. And um, there is, um, this is a variation on the, it creates a variation of the protein sequence on the spike protein, which is what the vaccine is against and what allows the virus to get into the cells and but we think it's on a part of the spike protein that would not um, 
affect vaccine efficacy. But again, we don't know because you would have to do a large study to find that out for sure. Is that your understanding, too, if I said anything that you think is wrong about that? Nope, that's exactly what I've read. Yeah. So you and I are reading similar reports. And um, so, again, the only thing that people in the United States need to do, people in central Missouri need to do, is the same thing we've been saying. Don't travel to England. Don't travel anywhere. If you have to travel somewhere, stay in your own car. Wear your mask when you fill up with gas. Do everything contact-free if you can. And, um, you know, postpone your Christmas plans to July with some flexibility that in July we may tell you to ask you to delay them. Um, And in the meantime, take your vitamin D and wear your mask and wash your hands and all those things. And I'm wondering what you're telling the families that you care for um, if you're telling them anything different than what, um, what the public health messages are. Nope. Telling them the exact same thing. I mean, I always tell, especially parents of preemies, don't take your baby anywhere for the first few months. Um, because they don't have much of an immune system to fight things off, but especially now, please stay home. That's the most important thing. And we've done a lot of family things on Zoom. <clears throat> We're getting ready to have a Zoom family Christmas morning. So. Oh, so your your family itself? Yes, yes, my family is doing Zoom Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of these things that we are trying to do by phone or or Zoom, and um, I, and I'm wondering. So I'm I'm going to circle back and ask you about hospital capacity and what's your experience about that, since we do have a few more minutes. My experience has been that the bed capacity isn't the problem; it's staffing. So we have right. enough beds, but we've had trouble finding enough nurses, respiratory therapists. And we've done okay, but it's been tight. And that's because we have nurses and respiratory therapists and other staff members that are getting sick or are home caring for their sick family members. Um, so, gotcha. you know, it's not so much space <clears throat> in the hospital as it is people. And, you know, that's yeah. why we've said all along here at MU Healthcare that people are our most important part of the supply chain. And that's the part that we, you know, we can't just order from Amazon. Um, so... We want to make sure that we can keep taking care of people. I've seen stories of um, physicians in in other parts of the mid-Missouri area um, that have had patients that need, you know, treatment for an acute MI and they're having a hard time finding a hospital to accept the patient. And that's what we don't want to have is that we have so many people in the hospital that we can't, you know, get your, your loved one to the hospital to get treatment for their heart attack. Yeah, I heard another story of somebody who worked in an emergency room and um, they had someone who had come in for um, with a need for um, onset of hemodialysis. So within um, uh, the new onset of, it was their first episode of, of kidney failure and they needed dialysis. And that is not something that every hospital in the, in the state can do. <clears throat> and many of these uh, referral centers that are expert in, you know, initiating hemodialysis are also referral sites for COVID care. And um, they were over 24 hours waiting for a bed not, and not waiting for capacity of people who had the skills and the access to the technology to be able to implement that. And those are the kinds of things that just really impact the the outcome of people's care. Um, so yeah, it's a 
and we started out, we came into the COVID pandemic with nursing and other uh, ancillary care personnel shortages. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, really anything that, that you can do to stay healthy is, is helpful to us as a team. Right. So not just avoiding getting the the virus, but also, you know, be really careful on a ladder might be a good time to not run the chainsaw. Exactly. Um, I have it, this conversation it's never with a my... good idea to use a it's never a good idea to use a paring knife to pry apart um uh frozen pork chops, just in case right. anybody needs to know that. <laughs> I, I have this conversation with my very um adventurous ten year old on a daily basis. You know, this isn't the the time of year the, the time during the pandemic that we want to have to take you to the ER to get stitches, okay? So please stop climbing on that. Right, right. Um, and just so everybody knows, many primary care practices have expanded their responses to emergencies, so it's possible that um, something like a laceration could be handled in somebody's doctor's office if they if you didn't want to go to the emergency room. Anyway, Sarah Younger, uh, <clears throat> MU Pediatrics in the newborn ICU, thank you so much for taking the time with us this morning um, to talk about hospital capacity and uh, your experience with vaccination. So, and to all of our listeners, thank you so much for listening. Change your holiday plans. It's not too late. Um, wear your mask. Wash your hands. Stay away from people who you don't live with. Take your vitamin D. And as always, cultivate a cheerful confidence that no matter what comes up, your body is so prepared to handle a virus. And thank you so much to Mallory for running the board for us this morning. Of course. Thank you. That's it for today's edition of Community Pulse. Special thanks to our guest, Dr. Sarah Younger of MU Healthcare Pediatrics. If you missed part of this program or want to share it with your friends, you can find it later today at KOPN.org and also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks to all who are listening to this show. And as always, we want to know what questions, comments, and insights you have related to coronavirus. You can leave a message for us at 573-874-1139 or email gm at kopn.org. And of course, you can catch us again live on Wednesday at 9 a.m. with host Jenny Chadwick. Thank you so much for tuning in to KOPN 89.5 FM. Between the Lines is up next. Stay tuned.